Episode 161, Jason Levin, author of the book, Relationships to Infinity. And I got voted most talkative guy. And for me, it was a revelation. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For more information about Jason, his book, and his work, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake161. As always, thanks for listening. If you like the episode, please share it with a colleague, share it on social media. And now, on with the show. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Jason Levin. Among other things, he is author of the book, Relationships to Infinity, The Art and Science of Keeping in Touch. Uh, Jason is kindly helping us do a book giveaway contest where you'll have an opportunity to win one of five signed copies of the book. So look in the show notes for the link uh, for how to enter um, to enter there. But let me tell you a little bit about um, Jason in, in serving his enterprise and individual clients. He draws on experiences as a district manager with vault.com. And at that company, he held roles both in operations and he uh, led a remote business development team. Prior to that, he worked in brand management uh, for Unilever on the Dove Global team, where he developed global innovations in the anti-aging skincare category. Uh, I know you'll be kind enough to not recommend those products to me directly here, right, Jason? <laughs> not at all, Mark. You look great. You, you've got great skin. Maybe I use some of them. I don't, but I, maybe <laughs> I should. Um, so anyway, this isn't a podcast about my skin. Um, but you know uh, that anti-aging skincare category is an important one. He uh, also previously worked for the consulting firms for firms that eventually became part of KPMG, and he worked for Accenture. He has an MBA from the Georgetown McDonough School of Business. You can learn more about Jason and his work at his website, ReadySetLaunch.net. One other fun detail: he's an assistant coach for his son's little league baseball team, and he's a self-described raving fan of DC sports. So, you know, welcome to the podcast, Jason. I got to ask you first off, if you had to pick a favorite team, which, which is it? It's hard. It's really, really hard. But I think that, uh, after the Nats won the world series, um, I think everybody had a heart attack and just the complete Excel, uh, celebration. So I'm going with the Nats, uh, but it's a, it's a tough tie with the other teams. Yeah. So. Well, it sounds like baseball is a big part of your family then with your, your son playing too. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and it's a great sport. A lot of life lessons. Uh, the game is about struggle and uh, mindset. And so uh, a lot of uh, great lessons, both in the sport and in life itself. So. Resiliency lessons, I think back to, to Little League. Yeah, you're not always going to get a hit. Right. And you're not always going to feel things cleanly. Uh, and, <laughs> and sometimes you're going to make mistakes. And guess what? Sometimes your team uh, mates are going to make mistakes. Hence, this is a great way to introduce the podcast. We could just talk about baseball the entire <laughs> baseball <time>. mistakes <laughs> because you know kids at that age don't always know the rules either, which probably no. leads to some funny mistakes, right? Well, you know it's interesting because 
my son is now at a level where they're introducing the drop third strike. And so that's going to create a whole level of chaos because, you know, some of the catchers are really, really good. Some of the catchers, you know, they're just trying to field the pitch. And so I think it's going to create some really interesting uh, dynamics. And you're right. Baseball is also a lot about rules and situations. And so, all right, in this situation with this number of outs and you've got a guy on third, do you really need to throw home? If you're the first baseman, the ball's hit to you, just step on the back. But, you know, again, um, it always depends. So It depends. And just one other recollection. I mean, I played Little League Baseball and then there was a period where I umpired. And boy, umpiring forces you to know all the weird things are going to happen of kid being hit, runner being hit by a ground ball, two, maybe three kids ending up on the same base. Like, what do you do to unpack all of that? You know, I, I have a huge amount of respect for umpires now that I've coached because there's so much to watch in a game. Uh, and actually, I, I had a walk and chew gum at the same time. I would coach third base and I'd be scoring the game at the same time. So it's a lot of mental energy to go from just spectator to, wait a minute, what's just happened here and what's my role in all of this? So, so kudos to you for being an umpire. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was the, I'm talking about mistakes that were made there, but uh, as, as me as the umpire, but it's not an easy thing to do. No. And I think it's also important for both parents and players to recognize that part of the game is the imperfection of what the umpire is <laughs> going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes their call will be, you know, the most significant thing about the game. Uh, and, you know, that's the way things happen. Uh, and, uh, and it's important to show those umpires grace. Uh, and that's something we try to, you know, uh, in my coaching and uh, the, the other coaches that I, we work with, you know, internally, we want to recommend an optometrist for them, but externally, <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure you yeah. have a great optometrist, Mark. I'm sure you're, you know, <laughs> I was probably wearing contact lenses, so it was less obvious back then. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but, but, um, <laughs> But um, so Jason is, you know, so we're going to talk more about his work. And I think this is where his favorite mistake story may come from. He's currently a speaker and a trainer. He uh, does all sorts of coaching as an executive career coach, business development and outplacement. And he's also the co-host of a podcast, Parents at Work. So I'll encourage you to go uh, check that out if you're a parent or you have interest in uh, that topic. So, so Jason, with the different things that you've done in different phases of your career, I'm curious to hear where the story uh, will, will come from. What is your favorite mistake? You know, and this was a really hard question, but I think it really came back to when I was graduating high school. And, you know, you get the most likely to succeed and the most popular. And I got voted most talkative guy. And for me, it was a revelation because. At the time, I didn't realize I talked a lot. <laughs> it was like this huge self-awareness moment. I said, and, and it got me thinking about all these different kinds of things. Wow, maybe I should ask more questions. Maybe I should pause more. Maybe I should uh, engage people that are not speaking. Uh, and so while you know nothing uh, bad really happened, I realized at that moment that I had very low self-awareness mm. and, mm-hmm. and I wanted yeah. to do something about that. And, uh, and that kicked off a whole journey around 
how I thought about myself, the questions I asked, uh, and to stop talking, <laughs> which is still. So, yeah, I mean, the kids don't have, uh, the kids aren't self-aware enough to vote most self-aware in the, in the school. It's, you know, stuff like best car, best athlete. Right. Most, it's all, most talkative. Yeah. You so know, that's either good for being a podcast host or bad, depending on what kind of show you host, right? Exactly. But then it's also about how do you ask your questions and how do you show your curiosity uh, and those kinds of things. And, and, I, and it really got me thinking in college around how I interact with others. And, you know, and, and as I think about another stumble, because yes, I was gregarious and talkative and I felt very blessed that uh, I went to Rowan University in Glassboro. I was elected president of student government. Uh, and in a lot of state schools, you go on a full scholarship. Uh, and so that was very exciting for me. And at the time, you know, I was really working on my listening skills and trying to become more self-aware. And I had a real unique opportunity to interact with uh, one of the benefactors of the institution, Mr. Rowan, who had donated $100 million to the school. And, and talking about not being able to listen, I made a, a, another huge mistake where I set up a meeting with him. He was expecting me in his office. I called to reschedule. And Mark, I never followed up. I never rescheduled. Uh -huh. Wow. And I, I'm 20, 21. What did I know? What, were, were, were you busy? It just slipped your mind? You hadn't been written down on a post-it note somewhere? I had no system. Uh, I, I said I was going to follow up. I never did. And two weeks later, two weeks had gone by, I hadn't followed up with Mr. Rowan or his assistant about getting another meeting on the calendar. The VP of Institutional Advancement, our, the university's head fundraiser, called me in and yelled at me for half an hour on how could I make a promise and not keep. And I recognized at that point, I also wasn't listening. I wasn't listening to the own commitments that I was making and not following through on them. And from that point on, I became like, this is my favorite technology, uh, having the pen and the notebook. This is the most powerful thing that reminds me of the things that I need to do. Uh, and so from that moment on, and he was very gracious and we set up another meeting and everything was fine, but uh, I recognized that I needed to be more serious about listening and, and my own follow through. Yeah. So, so Rowan didn't yell at you, Mr. Rowan. Did. Mr. Rowan, Mr. Rowan, uh, may rest in peace. One of the most amazing people on earth, did not yell at me at all. But yeah. the head of institutional advancement, <laughs> he didn't. He was uh, he was very animated. He was very and I, and I, and you know rightfully so. I mean, here's somebody that had given the institution hundred million dollars uh, at the time the largest gift to a public institution in 1992. Uh, so interesting that actually Malcolm Gladwell did a podcast on his podcast, Revisionist History, about the Rowan story. And he actually asked, Mr. Rowan gave $100 million to this little university in South Jersey. Why didn't anybody else? Uh, so incredible human being, but uh, I could understand the perspective now, you know, uh, many years later of the VP of institutional advancement. And, and he taught me a great lesson that uh, I needed to <laughs> yeah. be more intentional.
I'm surprised that lesson had to be 30 minutes long. Is it the same tirade repeated over and over or were you not listening? I think that one, it was the, what are you thinking? What were you thinking? What did you do? Uh, Then he clearly made the, here's your impact. Here's what you do wrong. And here's what I expect from you. If you think you're going to get another meeting with him. Because, you know, here you have a CEO of a major organization that doesn't have all the time in the world. He is blessing you with his presence and his mentorship, and you need to treat him as such. So I think the the meeting, you know, I, it was a complete dress down, but I think he went in mind-numbing detail on the things I did wrong. Like I mean, I wasn't voted most talkative, and I can't remember the last time I I don't not many tirades given. I've been on the receiving end of tirades or being dressed down, but, but yeah, that didn't seem like that needed to be more than five minutes and okay, yes, sir, I've got the point. I and apologize and move on. But I guess he really wanted to drive that home. I was ready to leave the office after minute two. But, uh... <laughs> and you can't just, you, then, you know, you can't kind of often say, okay, got it, understood, or Anything like you just got to, I guess, just just sit there. Yeah, it was a lot of nonverbals. Uh-huh. Okay. I understand. Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, you know, and after- then this, you talk about paper and pencil, and this was probably not a smartphone era where not, if you had pulled out your phone and started looking at it, that would have been a different, that would have triggered a different time. But, you know, it's really fascinating because, no, at the time, this was like 1996, I had just gotten my first email address from the institution. I think it was like 1996, 1997 is when I opened my Hotmail account. You know, so no, there was no phones. The phone was on the, you know, on the desk. It was connected to something. So, um, yeah. So how did, so I appreciate, I mean, there's, there's, I think, you know, a lot of depth to what you shared there around self-awareness and um, and follow through and listening. And these are mistakes that, I mean, you know, a lot of times, you know, people will make mistakes like that when they're young. And then I imagine there's then maturity versus like specifically reflecting on those things. Like where, where do you think the balance that's, that's led you to develop as a person as, and as a professional? How much of it is just time and maturity versus specifically saying, okay, I gotta, I gotta act differently. Well, I think that over time, I've come to really embrace that feedback as a gift, right? Uh, and I also think one of the things that I also learned in college and becoming president of student government is that I need to really challenge myself. And if I don't challenge myself, if I don't become uncomfortable, then I'm not learning, right? So, so going to Accenture was an amazing learning opportunity. Uh, getting a Rotary scholarship to study in France, an amazing learning opportunity. Then getting, you know, essentially a French firm that became KPMG to hire me, another learning opportunity. And that's actually where I had my first major speaking opportunity in a foreign language. When I was at, uh, I was at RSM at the time, I told them that, you know, I'm a public speaker. I'd done public speech uh, speeches before. I actually gave a 
15-minute talk in French to a group of 700 French B2B managers on the state of e-commerce back in 2001. And I mean, my heart was racing, like hard enough to give a talk in front of 700 people. And I was, I don't know, in my mid-20s, but I had to do it in French, which, you know, if you hear me talk in French, I've got a thick American accent. And so, you know, often it takes a certain amount of time to prepare, but to be able to do that in French, um, you know, took a heck of a lot more preparation. And so one of the things that I've also been intentional about in terms of like listening and taking feedback is just seeking uh, a challenge and, and not asking myself, am I ready? But rather like, let's go test myself. Uh, let's go test myself and see how that's going to work. Uh, and I think using those intentions have allowed for me to uh, evolve and develop in, in different ways uh, throughout my career. Yeah. So how have these lessons affected the work that you do now? Um, let's say specifically around executive career coaching, because I, I wonder if, if there are times where people have experienced a lot of success, they get to a certain point, are they comfortable being uncomfortable? Are they at a point where they, they don't have, they're, they're not willing to show the vulnerability? Of, right. I don't know something, or I, am I going to try something that where I, success is not preordained and guaranteed based on past experience. Like what, what, are, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. And, and for me, my philosophy really evolved after I got my MBA at Georgetown. I went on to Unilever and working on Dove lotions and creams. And by the way, Mark, you have wonderful skin. You know, all you need it, is... It, a, I think it's the Zoom. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what's that function that, that smooths you out a little bit? I can give credit to that. You've got great skin, Mark. Sorry to interrupt, but please stop saying I have great skin. <laughs> but I interrupted you. I apologize. Not at all. Not at all. I think what really evolved my thinking was around what brand marketing can do for individuals and how I began to think about brand principles and purchase decisions are also career decisions. So when we talk about intentions, I really think your next career decision is your next purchase decision. You self-selecting into that next opportunity is an intention to buy on your own behalf. Then who's the customer? So is it internal mobility upward or laterally within an organization? Who's that customer? What do they care about? What are their perceptions? And then are you making a move outward? And what does the market want? What does the market need? So I think a lot of the classic marketing, you know, four Ps or six Ps or however you learn them and being able to understand yourself then allows for you to then make those movements forward. And, and to your point, it's not that uncommon. I mean, I was just, you know, on with a client uh, yesterday who had gone through a series of very senior level interviews, very credentialed, and they didn't get picked. And it wasn't one process. It was a second process. It was a third process. And we were starting to have a conversation around not the functional elements of the interview, but the emotions they were feeling around losing their mojo. Uh, and, and that gets back to classic marketing also. You know, the, the best way to lie to a woman is in face care. She actually doesn't want to know functionally what a face cream does. Emotionally, it makes her feel confident. And that's the most important thing. And the same types of things happen when I'm uh, working with my executives is that how do they feel about this next opportunity? Or how do they feel about this challenge in front of them? And they might say they want feedback, 
but deep down they just want a compliment. Um, so it's interesting the uh, the laws of marketing actually play out quite nicely in people. So, and imagine somebody who's been really successful. They're going to to extend your analogy about the purchase decision. If somebody you know is a consumer, there is this uh, abundance of different screen, skin creams or an overwhelming number of different toothpastes, if you're going down that aisle. Right. And I think, you know, something we said where like this, this, this high, the, 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 having the, so many products to choose from becomes paralyzing. Sure. Is a similar thing true when it comes to, let's say, career opportunities for someone? You know, often when I'm unpacking things with an executive, often what you'll find is a lot of projection from others, guys, there's advice right? Mark, you are so smart and you should be doing all these different kinds of things, but they're not taking a listening based approach to actually understanding what they want and what's important to them and how they think about those kinds of things. And, and that's getting to the core of their own value proposition, right? So, you know, I was just working with this one chief operating officer and you know what, we were about to make a couple of career decisions and, you know, large organization, they were being primed for the leadership role. And when it came down to it, it wasn't fear. It's just, they really like being the number two. Uh, and in reality, they didn't want to be at such a large organization. They wanted to be able to work in more of a growth oriented organization. And so in working together, we began to identify, okay, what are the emerging organizations? What are the industries you find interesting? And so a lot of people were cultivating that person to take on the lead position, but that's not what they actually wanted. So, so moving away from this projection to intention. One other aspect of your business, and then you know, we talk about the book, um, Jason, there's, there's one element of your coaching business that's very specific, the idea of helping athletes with transitions. Sure. Um, and I'm not interested in this because I was any sort of athlete, but I've done two episodes with two retired pro athletes, um, Lenny Walls, who retired from the NFL, and Dave Scatchard, who retired from the NHL. Right. Um, so we had football and hockey, and, and they had interesting stories to share about their own struggles of redefining themselves and finding sure. a new path. What, sure. what, what, what attracted you to that work and what makes that different than executive coaching? You know, what I find interesting is that world came to me. I did, I did not intentionally go to that world. I didn't even know athlete transition was a thing when I started my business. And I feel very blessed that top MBA programs and executive MBA programs were bringing me in to do these career transition sessions. And the two types of people that always come up to me and say, I wish I had known this sooner, were transitioning military and athletes. And so the more I started to work with the D3, D2, D1 athlete, the minor league pitcher, the volleyball player that went pro, the uh, basketball G League person, and then all of a sudden it starts getting into uh, you know, the real pros. And it's that, that piece of identity that you have done this one thing and everybody around you has done this one thing, you know, basketball, baseball, gymnastics, you pick the sport, that is part of your identity. And I think that the notion of athlete retirement is just so young for some of these players, mid-20s, 
late 20s, early 30s. You have your whole life ahead of you. After that, who am I? What do I do? Where, where do I even begin? And so I think it's, it's a whole other world of transition because then for them, some feel that, you know, I'm going to go work for a team or I'm going to work for a league. And guess what? Or I'm going to be a, an announcer. And that's like a finite amount of opportunity. So working with athletes is super fun because we expand the scope and we get them into a place where they are starting to be more intentional about what are the things they want to serve. You know, I had one um, you know, D3 football player who uh, was a lineman and we were getting to the point where he was very interested in government contractors. And we were mock interviewing. And I'll never forget this. I'm like, okay, walk me through your resume. And he started doing this. <gasps> You're like, <laughs> like, like really breathing heavy. And I was like, all right, time out, time out. What's going on here? And he was so nervous that he had not interviewed in such a long time or ever really that he didn't even know how to think about this. And so from a mindset perspective, getting this six foot three, 270 pound lineman to relax in an interview. And it was super fun. I said, okay, what calms you down? And he was kind of sheepish. He's like puppies. <laughs> I said, yeah. all right, we're going to create a checklist. And on your phone, you're going to have a YouTube of puppies before you go in the interview. And it took his nerves level from a 10 down to a five. And then we are allowed to start talking about his story. And so, so athletes, not only on, on the identity uh, stage, need to be able to talk about who they are, but then articulate to others what going above and beyond is, what working in a team is, learning how to learn. Uh, and what athletes don't get is that they're coachable. Every athlete I talk to, I'm like, how many coaches have you had in your career? dozens, scores. Did each of them have a different perspective? Yes. Did you adapt? Yes. Athletes are more coachable than most because they have already been through it. And that's a, 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 a something in their quiver they don't talk enough about. Yeah. So. I've, I've heard um, Enterprise Rent-A-Car I think they do advertisements about this. They very specifically look to recruit and hire college athletes, like from, from non-revenue sports, people who are not going to pursue uh, a career in professional sports. But I'm sure for all of those dynamics, they're, they're, they're coachable. They're probably you know, competitive and success oriented while also being a team player. There are probably like a lot. You know, uh, I had a, a classmate. She played uh, field hockey at Northwestern and they were in like, you know, the top tiers of, of college field hockey. I thought it sucked coming to an 8 a.m. class, hauling my butt out of bed. She was coming after practice in her sweats, carrying a bag of field hockey equipment. I'm like, all right, she's working way harder than me. And, I, and you know, she was in very high demand coming out of uh, college for uh, consulting firms and jobs and, and for good reason, because she was not only super smart and talented, but that sports experience, um, I think was, you know, very, uh, attractive to employers. Absolutely. And they know how to work in teams and work in ambiguity They're, because that is what they do. Um, so it's, 
And it's fun to help them identify that in the professional world, in the nonprofit world, or uh, the government world, whatever they seek to do, and just help them interpret how their experience actually apply to where they want to be. And so part of what Jason does, again, our guest is Jason Levin. He has written a book about relationships, relationships to infinity, the art and science of keeping in touch. So I want to ask you about the infinity part, because you know none of us have infinite time in the day or the week. How, how do you frame this idea of like, you know, choosing to make time to focus on connections, reconnecting, focusing on relationships, given that we've got finite time? We have finite time, but when we think of Maslow and you look at all the social science and research about what keeps a human being alive, food, water, shelter, security, and connection, all the social science and, and, and something that I felt these past two years was a level of loneliness. And I did not realize how important connection is to our own survival. So, you know, and you raise something really important is how do we use our time to either inspire us and move us forward or use our time to just get things done? And so often when I'm working with a group in a training or uh, individually, it's show me your calendar and I'll show you your priorities. And what's fun is to get one client uh, that I uh, talked about in the book was someone that wanted to go for her first general counsel role. And through structured intentions and being able to build relationships, she was able to do so. And she was a self-described introvert, right? She was so blown away by the process that we had used of just calendar blocking time that actually in her new job as a general counsel, she has on Friday mornings, it's called CC, connection calls. And it's a half an hour. And that time is sacrosanct. Nobody can get into that half an hour because she's going out and connecting with people that she knows, likes, and trusts. And that's been invigorating for her even beyond the transition that she's made for herself. And how important is, or is it, does it depend on the individual phone calls, email, using LinkedIn? I mean, does the, the format of the reach out matter? What's your, what's your advice about that? So I think that the message is more important than the format. You could send a carrier pigeon, you could send a smoke signal. The most important thing, and you're, you're seeing a lot more research come out on this. There's just an article on Cosmo on the power of nostalgia, right? So what are we doing with this time? How do we reconnect with people? It's not that we, oh, I should reconnect. It's the how. Well, what's a favorable memory you have of that person? And can you share that with them? What did an early boss or supervisor or colleague uh, have a favorable impact on you? And to be able to aggregate that on a weekly basis, to share those memories, is a wonderful way to reconnect with people. Yeah, that seems like a much better way uh, than than some generic like, oh, I hope you're doing well. It would be good to catch up sometime. Like that doesn't carry the same weight. And that's why I talk in my book, you know, I think networking is a nonsense word. It's a catch-all phrase. For me, 
If you're intentional, that means you're keeping in touch. You're aspiring to keeping in touch and that you're actually acting on your keeping in touch intentions. And so the reason I use infinity is that, and actually uh, in the book cover, the infinity symbol is not fully closed, meaning that the work is never fully done. And so that you're constantly in this wonderful state of connecting and reconnecting. And that people are always happy to hear from you and they're always happy to help. Uh, and I think one of the most important things that uh, we see now in these last two years between hybrid and remote is that we need to be more intentional about how we manage our relationships. And so, and that's what I wanted to do is create a framework for that. Uh, and the book has a section um, on using LinkedIn effectively in general, which I think will be of interest to people. Um, there, there's a phrase you use in part of the book, um, your social fortress. What, what is that? So the social fortress is an academic construct that when we need to make important decisions or under stress, we would be benefiting from a larger, broader set of voices. But what happens is we create a social fortress to actually only go to a few trusted people. And so, and that could be, uh, you know, and I see this often, you know, I'm working with an exec right now that's under a lot of pressure. You know, they need to create uh, a strategy for uh, their leadership team. And you could see them close down and like that social fortress that's being created where they only want to talk to a few. I'm like, you need to be able to share this with these stakeholders, get their buy-in, listen and hear them out. So the social fortress is actually a very serious thing as we think about uh, keeping in touch, even with the people that are currently in your own organization. So that's a, that's an interesting thought. So yeah, um, what, what, tell, tell me more about the importance of, let's say, maintaining your external network versus a network within your own company. Right. Uh, and that's something that I talk about in the academic research that I went through. And really, it's two foundational pieces. One is Mark Granovetter's 1973 uh, paper on the strength of weak ties, where he was talking about how uh, people that are acquaintances can actually help you uh, propel yourself in new and in interesting ways. And the fun part is that Granovetter actually became famous in The Tipping Point under Malcolm yeah, Gladwell. Gladwell, yeah. Yeah, so uh, when he talks about connectors, mavens, uh, and salespeople. And the second piece, so you have uh, weak ties and strong ties. And then what you have uh, in 2011 is the strength of dormant ties, uh, people that you lose touch with. And so that comes from Give and Take, made famous in 2014, where Adam Grant was talking about people that give and more likely to get back in touch with these dormantized people that you lose touch with. So really, when we're talking about your internal relationships and external relationships, there's really four quadrants, strong, weak, and dormant and current, all right? So, and between strong and weak and dormant and current, you have four different types of relationships that you can be focusing on. And so really on a weekly basis, you need to be thinking about, okay, within those four quadrants, all right, here's the work that I need to get done. Who are my stakeholders that are going to help get me there? And within my own organization, who else needs to be involved in this? 
so that we can make sure that we get that right buy-in and get your work done. And then you can use those four quadrants uh, externally to be able to think, all right, who are my partners, clients, uh, you know, as well as people that I used to work with and be aggregating them in on a monthly basis so that you're managing your current relationships in your work and making sure that all the different people uh, and stakeholders are able to get that work done. And then also making sure that you're nourishing the network you already have. And that's the joy of dormant ties. Well, uh, academia and consulting realms all love a good two-by-two matrix, right? (laughs) I say all the time, I'm an MBA. The only way I can explain something is by a two-by-two matrix. But I I appreciate that you are citing um, not just academic research, but also Cosmo. Yes, Uh, of course. Of course. And and that's that's where I get my skincare tips, by the way. Mark, that's wonderful. That's why I like you so much. That's fantastic. I'm at the but, academic research. There's a lot of, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and the fun part is, is that these academics are really onto some very interesting things and they've uncovered things even before the business community actually implements them. So, you know, I love the dormant ties research because essentially what they did was they asked a group of executive MBAs to go ask for help on a business problem. And they asked for five people they currently knew and five people they lost touch with by three years. And the people they lost touch with by uh, three years gave better advice, better insights, and better introductions. And the academics were, well, why? Well, those people that you know that go on to do other things, they build new networks, they observe other things, they go into new hierarchies. So I say this very genuinely, that keeping in touch will make you smarter. Keeping in touch will actually not only help your career, but at the bottom of the Maslow pyramid, it'll actually make you feel better. So you're getting two, uh, you know, two birds, one stone on this. So relationships and networking is a path to, uh, what, what's the top level self-actualization? Is that self-actualization. The, well, Ooh, I pulled that out of the deep memory there. There you go. So back to self-awareness, right? Mm-hmm. So you're doing this initially to stay alive, right? Uh, and as you are nourished, then you're able to have these higher order ideas of who you are, what you stand for, what your legacy is, what meaning do you want to create through your work? Very important point. So there's there's a lot of great stuff in the book. I hope people will check it out. It's uh, Relationships to Infinity, The Art and Science of Keeping in Touch. Uh, our, guest, our guest today has been Jason uh, Levin. His website is readysetlaunch.net. Jason, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for the conversation and for everything you shared today. Mark, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Well, thanks again to Jason Levin for being our guest. To learn more about his book and his website and more, look for links in the show notes, or you can go online, markgraven.com slash mistake161. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. 
If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.